Thanks for listening to this episode of the TNLA Green Report. We're going to be talking today with our guest about federal grower disaster relief, as well as working on ag issues at the state level in Texas. Our guest is the former chairman of the Texas Ag Council and is highly involved on federal policy affecting all of agriculture. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe as well as give us five stars. Thanks so much for listening. Summers in Texas can be brutal, but the cost of protecting your people doesn't have to be. Not when you join the Texas Green Industry Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. With Texas Mutual, you'll get valuable guidance on how to protect your workers from the summer heat. Things like adjusting schedules so that your people can acclimate to the temperature gradually, and making sure your workers drink at least one pint of water every hour. Plus, as a Texas Green Industry Safety Group member, you'll automatically get a discount on your workers' comp premiums and have the chance to earn double dividends every year. It's a great way to protect your people and your business. To learn more, go to texasmutual.com slash Industry. All right, folks, thanks for joining us back with an episode of the TNLA Green Report. I've got a good friend of mine here as our guest, uh, Cody Bessent with the Plains Cotton Growers. Cody, thanks for joining us. That's great to be with you. Great to be with a friendly face and a friendly <laughs> partnership. We love working with the Texas Nursery and Landscape Association from a cotton industry standpoint. Well, thank you. And we certainly do uh, work quite a bit at the state level. Um, and, you know, as, as Cody uh, will probably be too humble to attest to, but I do lean a lot on his expertise at the federal level because there's just a tremendous amount of information policy that has come out of DC recently and will be coming out um, in the years, in the year ahead as uh, we get off into the farm bill. But before we go down that road, uh, Cody, I just want to ask you to kind of introduce yourself to the audience, talk about, you know, PCG, your role there and, and the organization and what y'all do. You bet. So Plains Cotton Growers is a non-for-profit organization that was formed in 1956. Uh, we are in the, the realm of work for advocacy, uh, predominantly at the state and federal level. And then we also dabble as well in some other subsidiaries that are tied into Plains Cotton Growers on research and development, as well as overseas market development. So we have good export markets, but also good research for uh, different seed varieties, different agronomic practices that help enhance the industry. So very similar to a, a, a checkoff, um, but a, a non-for-profit and, and work in a different manner. Well, y'all, y'all are a tremendous organization. And, and as you said, we do partner on quite a bit. It makes sense being both in the plant industries um, and trying to work on the policy issues that affect us. Uh, you're in D.C. quite a bit. Um, in fact, we were up there uh, on the same trip. Uh, well, we weren't on the same trip, but we were in D.C. at the same time last uh, September, I believe. And uh, TNLA had just sent a delegation up there to work on winter storm disaster relief amongst some of the other issues. And I know that uh, your, your organization as well as your national um, counterparts were doing a lot of the same work. We were glad to see that ultimately Congress approved $10 billion, um, but then it took some time to, to see that money realized. Um, and I think we're only just now at the very beginning stages of that if you were impacted by the winter storm, Uri, like much of our industry was, 
that's a long time to wait. But I know that there are producers that had disasters impact them in 2020 that, um, you know, they were waiting even longer. So uh, kind of give us a little bit of the background from y'all's perspective and your work on that issue. We were, try we were all trying to get that money, but, um, you know, it just took a while, I guess. Is that a fair way to put it? It is, and that's kind of the nature of the beast in working with the, the federal government versus our state government can react very quickly because they're given a finite time to work within their means. But uh, Congress in D.C. takes usually a little bit more time to, to work within their means and to implement a program that we advocate for, um, much like y'all did in the same process for disaster relief for the 2020 and 21 crop year. This will be a program that is now being fully implemented by USDA, so the emergency relief program is what it's now being called. It's, <laughs> it was WIP plus the wildfire hurricane indemnification program in the previous administration. The new administration has now renamed it the emergency relief program, ERP. Um, and we're very thankful that it is finally being implemented. Um, and, and thanks to, to TNLA too for the, the conducive and the, the joint effort of advocating for this. Um, it took a lot of people rowing in the same boat, and that's one thing we promote as far as advocacy is having a lot of good colleagues to help promote the same message and help push policy forward. Uh, but this program is, is being implemented right now. So individuals, be it TNLA members or cotton producer members or other members that are eligible for the program should receive a pre-populated form uh, within the mail probably at the end of this week, first of next week from the Farm Service Agency. Um, they just need to verify that their information is correct within the form, uh, be it uh, if they had any crop insurance indemnifications or not, if they participated in NAP, make sure that their shares uh, are correct. So if they have an 80-20 share between a landowner or a producer, by example, or however their shares are allocated, they need to make sure that that is correct. Um, verify that, sign it, send it in, and they should receive payment very quickly uh, to help offset the monstrosity that we saw uh, in 2020 and 2021, be it for cotton specifically in our area, drought was a big component in 2020. In 2021, we saw one of the most prolific winter storms we have ever seen in the state of Texas, which applies to TN TNLA members um, or others. Um, you look at California, the wildfires um, that they, they were so impacted by. Um, but it did take a, a long time to get the, the program re-implemented. Um, sadly enough, uh, the program itself um, didn't change much, but that's a good thing. Um, the way some of it was structured uh, was very positive for most of the previous recipients of WIP for 1819. There were some improvements that were made. So eligibility was one. So those that could qualify, um, absorbing out uh, premiums or fees that were paid into the crop insurance program was another one. Uh, in addition to uh, trying to make sure that that payment eligibility and payment caps were were stretched a little bit compared to what they have been, just because we know that the agricultural industry, the ag sector as a whole, is is a very big industry, and certainly we look at a lot of large numbers, but in many times those larger numbers are more of a gross type of number where you have a lot of input costs, especially where input costs are at today, getting much larger uh, versus a net back to the producer or the individual. Um, and so try to allocate and, and be conscious of that in the new program. Um, but Yeah, I think that for, for our members um, 
who I've spoken to, you know, there may be a, a certain level of frustration because a lot of them don't carry federal crop insurance. Um, you know, there's a variety of reasons, uh, including just kind of a historic level of dissatisfaction with payouts on that. But um, as a tenant of this program, ultimately in some phase, if they receive uh, funds, we're expecting uh, it to require you to take out uh, federal crop insurance. Is that correct? That is correct. So phase one, which is what we are in today, that, that will be uh, compensation for those that did have insurance. Phase two, which will be the second phase, which should be implemented in the fall, um, will be those that did not take insurance or have crop insurance in general, um, but they are required. So they know going into the program, if they do take this disaster-based uh, uh, program payment, they would be required to take an insurance-based level for the next two years. Um, so just kind of know that there are some pros and cons to looking at this. And certainly every individual needs to take a look at it and see if it warrants participating in it. But the, the, the assistance is there. Um, it's there to help both those that, that had insurance and those that didn't, uh, because industries are very different. Uh, you and I being a very good example of that, mm -hmm. but very complimentary of each other too. Yeah, the, the, um, there's going to be probably a lot of, from our industry, a lot of diving into what do the formulas mean and how do they work. If you did have insurance, um, you know, and you get this pre-filled application, the USDA has been very clear that that does not mean you automatically qualify. Um, they're using the existing data that they have. And, and the idea being they can get money out as fast as possible because they have that data in hand. That's why they're, they're sending out these um, pre-filled forms and trying to process that um, very quickly. So, you know, the, I know y'all have sent out some information on how the, the payments formulas uh, will, will be uh, uh, work under this new program we uh, i would encourage tnla members to look in our working for you newsletter uh that is it's going to be going out with some articles including the press release from the usda and have that information in it uh, growers who are fortunate enough to be in that phase one need to make sure that if they qualify they 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 take advantage of it if it makes sense for your operation uh, because this is this is the opportunity um to do so Absolutely. And just to also maintain and look at the information, verify it, make sure it's correct, because if it's not, there is an opportunity to correct it in phase two. Um, but just just make sure people are paying attention to it and looking forward to the mail, too. Um, but it is an opportunity to certainly encourage all all ag producers to take advantage of it um, because it will help. It will certainly help in some of the losses we incurred for 20 and 21. I think when we were in when we were in DC and we were talking about the possibility of this program, the likelihood that you know there were there was going to be some pot of money dedicated towards agriculture disaster relief, weather related agriculture disaster relief. Um, you know, we we at that time were talking about some of the limits and stipulations on who could have access, who could qualify. Um, did we see any kind of progress on some of those issues? Or is this pretty much the same um, limitations as WIP Plus in that regard? It's pretty well the same as far as limitations. The only difference between this type of program versus a traditional farm policy, so um, a PLC or ARC or other types of programs, is the limitation is based on a program year. So there is a separate limitation for the 2020 year and the 2021 year. 
In addition to one thing that was done in the 18 Farm Bill that has helped some, not all, but some, is if you derive 75% of all of your income based on a person or entity that is a, a legal entity or a, a operation, be it an actual row crop producer or a nursery landscape or what have you, and you can prove that up through FSA, then you double your limitation. Um, just because you have been more severely impacted by the weather-related conditions we have seen. And so that, that is one improvement um, that, that is being looked at with this, within this implementation of this program. And hopefully moving forward, as we look at farm, farm policy moving forward for 2023 and beyond, mm -hmm. um, that we can start to recapture some of that as well. Well, like I, like I told our folks, uh, if you're a TNLA member, please do check out our publications. We put out some initial information. I know there will be a significant amount of uh, producers in our industry that will be waiting on phase two details. Do we have That's any right. kind of de any kind of timeline for when uh, that information the USDA plans on on publishing? Will they have to use up the six billion before they head into phase two, or what? What are your thoughts on how that's likely to work? More likely to be in the fall. So they've had a deadline for phase one applications by the end of July, and so they should have a pretty good understanding of how much has went out the door as far as disaster aid payments going through the month of October, or excuse me, August. Um, and so I figure around September, October, they'll do phase two. Um, and so we'll have a little bit more details of how they want to implement that. Should be pretty easy. I, I forgot to mention and, and kind of forego this a little bit. So in row crops, we're a little bit different than specialty crops, which is most of your listeners mm -hmm. uh, portraying to be. So I mentioned the, the limitation on payment limits. Um, so row crops, it is 125000 per individual or entity. Um, it's double that if you make 75000 or 75% um of your income coming from that now for specialty crops which most would fall underneath it is 900,000 for each program for a specialty crop so a little bit of a different description because it's a a not a negative term but a higher valued crop we know mm -hmm. that um, and certainly has different implications that goes into producing that type of crop yeah. uh, but, but but input costs across the board certainly impact all of them we know that sure yeah well i mean and it's true it's one of the things we were trying to describe um, coming from the nursery standpoint, when we were talking to congressional offices is in some cases, these are multi-year crop before we ever see a harvest. And right. um, they, they, you know, didn't think about the, the reality of that. There, there were some standing relief programs that I know some, some of our uh, growers at least tried to participate in, but things like the tree assistance program aren't there to make a producer whole. They are uh, to get you the very basic uh, floor level um, to replant essentially, and so I think there was a little bit of discouragement. And this is the this is the type of program that folks are waiting on and have been waiting on. And hopefully, um, for those who qualify and those who are waiting on phase two to get in, we'll, they'll take advantage of it. Of course, again, if it makes sense for the way their business is structured and their obligations going forward. That's right. And I do think y'all have done yeoman's work in D.C. as well as in our state capital um, of promoting the fact that some of your membership is it is a perennial crop versus an annual. It's, it's a multi-year based species. Um, and there's not a lot of folks that understand some of that sometimes. Um, certainly, we have the ability to advocate for an annual basis. where We will start planning in April, May, which we are doing right now. And then we will harvest in October versus some of your membership, they may plant, uh, let's say in March, 
but then they may not replant again, or they may move up and replant again within two years. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's interesting how some of that advocacy and that education component works. Yeah, I remember going and taking in uh, pictures of some of the losses that producers had sent out. TNLA uh, worked with A&M AgriLife right after Winter Storm Uri to put out a survey and gather some immediate data that we felt wasn't being gathered by the state. Um, and, uh, you know, we, they, we had a, a large number of producers participate in that, but some went the extra mile and sent in, you know, their own pictures and things like that. That was a great visual uh, presentation to be able to make to, you know, congressional staffers to demonstrate here, here's what a, um, you know, 10-year tree looks like when totally destroyed by uh, winter storm Uri. And you can imagine if we were paid $5 to replace that tree, we're not getting anywhere near the ballpark of the value. So um, I'm glad that there, there are some of those distinctions made in this emergency relief program. And again, um, you know, if there's opportunities to work on that farm policy going forward, uh, we'll try to take advantage of that where possible. No doubt. We certainly welcome that partnership to work with y'all. Well, so speaking of partnership, and you brought up state-level advocacy, uh, you are, I guess, now the immediate past chairman of the Texas Agriculture Council, which is a group of uh, about 70 trade associations and allied industry um, uh, suppliers who uh, have state-level presence in Texas, and we get together and um, exchange information and uh, work Try to try to work constructively on issues where possible. Um, network, make sure that we're uh, trying to, I guess, put the best foot forward for agriculture at the policymaker level and have a real um, consistent presence for all of the various types of group. What was that experience like uh, being chairman of that organization the past? What was it a year or two? It was great. It was it was very different compared to other experiences because it was an experience during COVID. Yeah. Um, well, we had, didn't necessarily have always in-person meetings, but we did have the ability to meet virtually and advocate in a different collective manner. Um, I think that helped a little bit in, in how we advocated. You know, certainly we all had a very good presence at the state capitol building in person whenever we needed to be. But if we had some sort of, you know, really quick issue that needed to be addressed, then we could convene very quickly. And so that's, that's one positive benefit, I would say. Uh, that has come out of the last couple of years is being able to, to pivot and to, to meet very quickly if, if need be um, and still be able to see people virtually in person versus over a conference call. But, but uh, having that, that relationship is still a big deal. Um, well, that, it was great. Um, I, I loved it. it. It was a unique once in a lifetime type of experience where you see a lot of information that funnels through uh, the organization as a whole or the, the, the uh, uh, TAC as a whole and be able to disseminate that in a timely manner so people can digest it. But also if you have information that is flowing through that people need to be aware of and sign on to a letter by example or be aware of a, a hearing or a meeting that's taking place very quickly that pertains to a certain group, you can help facilitate that. And there's a large, large amount of responsibility that comes with that, uh, especially being very timely, but, but it was a cool experience. I, I certainly loved it. Uh, when traded for the world, uh, look forward to uh, you being in that position at some point in time in the near future as well. Um, and you're inside an advocacy and everybody has a different mindset of that. 
my advocacy is probably very different than some. Um, I see advocacy as a team sport very much. Um, that's why I enjoy the partnership that we have and being able to, to row in the same boat together, be it if it's an issue that impacts us directly or indirectly, if it's something that impacts uh, TNLA. Um, certainly we are very glad to be a part of that because we know we got to team up and be, be uh, a good uh, partner together on a lot of things. Um, just because we are a small blimp on the radar in some incidents, um, as it relates to ag advocacy on the whole the whole screen. So. Well, you did a really good job, and I can say that having been part of the of the leadership team. And I, I my my time is coming off in the off in the distance, not too distant future, uh, to probably be in that position. But uh, we appreciate your leadership in that role. You know, we did have a challenging time because COVID uh, had implications for our organizations and our members getting into the building. Um, during the most critical time, that 140 days that the legislature is there doing the business they're constitutionally required to do. And, you know, there were challenges from getting into the building to participating in committee hearings uh, to even getting into individual offices. Um, and, you know, I, I think you did a really good job. We did a good job as an organization um, or as a collective group to uh, pivot when, where possible. We had the opportunity to uh, meet virtually, but directly with the governor and lieutenant governor and, um, you know, things that we um, haven't done in recent years in person and, and probably doing so virtually afforded us that ability because we could meet on on their time and, and it was convenient for everybody. When you think about all the producer groups in the state, you know, we have a lot of folks that aren't based in Austin permanently, yourself included. So it, it takes time to make time to travel down and, and uh, do that do the uh, engagements with uh, various policymakers. And so, um, you know, we did a really good job in the circumstances that we were given. But, uh, you know, TAC, in my mind, affords us an opportunity to really coordinate where it makes sense for all the groups. Uh, we, for, for folks who've never been at the state capitol during the legislative session, uh, you know, don't really probably know that when a bill is moving through the process, for example, and is a priority of your group, and you can come to Ag Council in that position and share why it's important to agriculture as a whole, you know, there are opportunities where we all can, if we're in town, we can walk across the street and register our organizations and support and get on the record um, as supporting that policy. And so, in a way, Ag Council just provides that network for us to be able to communicate what are those priorities and when is the appropriate time to take action. I think that, you know, TNLA has been a part of that group for, for a while and our members probably don't really even know that it's out there. And I know that you, your group has been a part of TAC for um, quite some time. And I'm sure that, you know, you, your members have benefited from the, uh, the organization and, and everybody's efforts in that regard. So just thank you for, your time in that position. Yeah, you bet. And, and what's unique about the Ag Council versus any other state is I'm not aware of much other states that have the similar top-based structure. Certainly there's other collective quote-unquote Ag Council groups, but it's typically very um, biased on the types of commodities they're allowed to participate um, or at least coordinate between one another. And, and that's one thing that's very unique about Texas Ag Council and uh, being able to facilitate that type of information together and, and coordinate and work together. 
um, be it you know you and I between the cotton or row crop sector to nursery landscape to the point we've had um, forestry to uh, other conglomerates from cattle to uh, to, to even uh, land and mineral owners. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a very unique base group. Certainly we represent a lot of interesting uh, individuals and uh, interesting platforms, but to be able to collectively come together and take a unified position on certain policy initiatives is huge. And, and, and uh, I hope that people continue to recognize the value and the importance of that and the membership that we have through Ag Council to be able to do that. Yeah, speak well, and, and and one example of that was a bill that you and I worked pretty closely on last session, uh, House Bill twenty eighty nine. That, um, in in my view, for the first time, uh, you know, in quite some time, put um, specific dollars into pest and disease research that is affecting uh, agriculture, um, and that is a ongoing and continually growing uh, concern for our industry, as I think it probably is for yours just the nature of how our supply chain works. And I can say on behalf of the nursery and landscape supply chain after winter storm Uri, the state of Texas imported a tremendous amount of plant material, um, which is, we're thankful obviously that those resources were there and, and we, there was a boom in our business that followed that, but it meant that all of that plant material has the potential and the possibility of presenting new uh, pest and disease risks that would might not have been otherwise there or might not have been as great. Um, you know, I think that uh, the Texas Department of Agriculture, I know this, they they believe they need more resources to monitor um, the, the, the products coming into the state to try to catch more pest and disease. They don't have those resources. And so for your group and for ours, there are some diseases out there that are of immediate growing concern. So you had this idea to, to put together um, this project and get it funded. Where did it come from and, and kind of what was the concern from Cotton's perspective? So our big concern was a, a disease that is very, uh, very aggressive in cotton, especially Pima cotton called FOV4. And certainly it's, it's not contained in our area yet. It's more or less down around um, specific areas of South Texas, but also over in more or less the El Paso region, um, but it is a seaborne-based disease um, that is that is in the soil, that is resilient in the soil. It stays there, uh, and we do not have any type of resistance yet today in upland cotton, which is about 90% of all Texas production. And so our concern was, if we don't start tackling this issue very aggressively, there could be some crossover where maybe uh, seed moves from either outside of state, as you mentioned, we do have uh, product that does come from other states or outside of the country. So we're a big line of defense from the southern border on any type of plant pest and disease that comes through, um, as well as other certified seed that comes into the state and trying to mitigate that risk of non-transferring that type of plant pest and disease into the state so we can, we can offset that until we can do more R&D, which we are doing very aggressively today. Uh, to develop better seed varieties that are resistant to FOV4. Uh, that's one primary example, but that was our big focus. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we designed it was through a uh, plant pest and disease program that was uh, more designed on a federal basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so Georgia and Alabama and some other states have, have done the same thing. 
but we wanted to be competitive as well as uh, as complementary to doing their efforts the same as as uh, we have on the, the state side that we do now. And it's been a, a very good program um, as as uh, we looked at the bill and, and advocated very well together on it. Um, it uh, appropriated 500 million uh, or 500,000, excuse me. We wish um, it was 500 million. <laughs> I, I wish. We, we, could have, we could have that much to spend it 10 times over, I'm sure. But it did appropriate 500,000, at least for some seed money. Mm-hmm. And the way we've been able to implement some of that um, is complement the dollars that are being developed from private research, as well as from uh, a three-legged stool as well, uh, from some other uh, producer dollars that we utilize through the cotton industry too, from our segment standpoint, I know your, yours does sure. the same thing as well. So it was a way to, to complement uh, the best and highest use of taxpayer dollars uh, for this type of program for implementation. Certainly there's more that can be done. Uh, we hope that the uh, appropriate amount will be increased as we move forward because there were several outstanding projects that didn't get funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were very high merited and warranted to do it. Uh, we just simply didn't have enough resources. But I think we've done a really good job uh, in showing where this program is going to be very effective in Texas in combating plant pest and disease moving forward, be it the row crop industry or, or cotton specifically or nursery and landscape. Well, and I can tell you from, from our industry's perspective, uh, you know, growing such a multitude of different species of, of plant material. And, and then uh, you compound that by moving life plant material all over the place. Um, you know, there, there are constant um, concerns. One of the ones that we deal with um, is in the citrus world. And that was one of the other proposals that did receive some funding through this project. Um, and that's always a priority of ours. You know, up in the North Texas region, we've got Emerald Ash Borer, which has just been um, confirmed in two additional counties. And that has implications, not just for actually the um, producers who are growing ash trees or ash varieties, but the, but the, even the mulch producers who are, who are moving ash uh, product around or um, have ash components in it. You know, there are compliance agreements that have to be put into place and certain regulations. And so, we need to devise a way to um, make sure that we're on the front end of, of the latest research. Are there, are there ways we can be mitigating the spread of these pests or diseases? And because they're going to have, at the end of the day, business implications for our industry. So um, we, we, the, in the bill, we set up an advisory committee that was put together by industry, which I think was a very smart thing to do. It makes sure that uh, our industries always have an understanding of the proposals that are coming in and also, you know, weigh them for their relevance to the needs we're seeing and hearing from our members. Um, and so we're very thankful that the legislature saw fit to put that in place and make sure that industry had a real firm seat at the table in that regard. Um, and the, the things that we're doing going forward, I hope that we continue to see the legislature, uh, in that sense of the word we, the legislature or Texas continues to see its role um, as a warranted one in getting involved in this this capacity and making sure that they're not leaving it to just the federal government to to come up with uh, solutions um, and just private dollars. The state of Texas uh, needs to do more in this area. And this was a really, really good start in our view. So, uh, you know, thanks for all your work and partnership on that. The Texas House Ag Committee uh, has a hearing next week 
and they'll, as one of their charges, they'll be reviewing this program and um, judging it for its effective, effectiveness. So still kind of in its infancy, you know, the research projects aren't completed yet. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're a bit uh, too far out, I think, to have a deliverable, so to speak. Um, uh, but, you know, we do know that, as you mentioned, there were proposals out there that didn't get funded, um, and certainly a handful of those. And I, and I think as awareness of these, this research fund grows, um, we're going to have more researchers, Texas-based researchers, um, you know, uh, submit proposals uh, because the threats, uh, the issues are only going to continue to grow and become more varied. And there's a lot of opportunity out there. And so not only do I hope that the legislature finds it a worthy program, I hope that they plan on, um, you know, continuing to fund it and, and hopefully grow the funding. We're looking at a legislative session, this next session, that uh, may have a, a tremendous amount in surplus. And I think there's going to be a lot of different calls on that money. There's going to be a lot of different, you know, perspectives about uh, how they want to see that money spent. I'm sure some of it will go for property tax relief and, and other issues. Uh, some of it will be, have to be held dealing with inflation. But I think there's an opportunity to see more resources directed towards our industries in this regard and help us combat something that's going to have implications on the financial success of both cotton and the, and the horticulture industry. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I hope they, they continue to recognize the fact that so ag is the second largest economic driver of the whole state as far as monetary and, and income, per se. Um, and so for them to recognize that and understand that we are the first line of defense for mitigating any type of disease outbreak or plant pest and disease outbreak in the state will be huge. Um, and so it would behoove them from a uh, from an overall food security or or just agricultural security for the U.S. as a whole, but Texas as a as in general uh, to appropriate additional funds to help mitigate some of this risk that we see. That's that's not of anything that's doing of our own producer members. It's just something we're faced with. Um, and how can we offset that? Well, Cody, thank you so much for your time. Hope your, your guys continue to uh, be strong up there in the plains and, and in that beautiful part of the state of Texas. We appreciate your expertise in all of these issues and, and working and fighting on behalf of producers in Texas, because I know for them, it means a great deal. And for, from TNLA's perspective, the partnership with your organization and the work we're able to do together means uh, a great deal to our members as well. So thanks for your time today and, and our partnership going forward. Absolutely. Let's appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Certainly appreciate the opportunity for the partnership and just know that your members are uh, pretty much the same and if not the same as our members. And we, we relish in the opportunity to be able to advocate together because it takes all of us uh, doing that to be able to be successful, much like we've seen on uh, federal issues, state issues, um, and, and issues in general. Uh, it takes all of us rowing in the same boat. So really appreciate the friendship partnership um, and look forward to doing more great things as we move forward. Well, thanks so much, Cody. You know, motor vehicle accidents are the number one cause of work-related fatalities in Texas. Even a minor accident can have devastating consequences for your business which is why you need to join the Texas Green Industry Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. You'll save money and learn how to keep your employees safe on the road. Texas Mutual's extensive library of driver safety resources cover topics like seatbelt use, controlling speed, 
putting away cell phones, and avoiding driver fatigue. Plus, as a Texas Green Industry Safety Group member, you'll automatically get a discount on your workers' comp premiums and have the chance to earn double dividends every year. It's a great way to protect your people and your business. To learn more, go to texasmutual.com slash texasgreenindustry.